Okay, so let's get the mood going here. Imagine it, the coffee machine is bubbling and gurgling away in the corner. There's wood in the hearth, but the fire is definitely not lit because it's far too warm right now. The smell of musty paper and the subtle sweetness of vanilla is in the air, and you're gathered with some of your closest book friends to talk about your latest find. I'm Ray, and welcome to another episode of Not Before Coffee, The Bookshop where I talk about my most recent reads and possibly, hopefully, encourage you to pick up a copy. This week I'm going to be talking about a book that many had probably not even heard of until the 2015 film came out. I know that I certainly was among them. The book was actually self-published all the way back in 2011, so it's 10 years old as I record this, but by the time it became a Ridley Scott film, it had been picked up by Random House and been reprinted around the world. If you hadn't already seen the title of this episode, then hopefully by now you'll have guessed that I am going to be talking about Andy Weir's 2011 novel, The Martian. I was admittedly a little nervous when I picked up the book. What if I didn't like it as much as I liked the film? Would this be the first time in forever that I discovered a book that wasn't as good as the film it inspired? Did the character voices come through as clearly in the written word as they had when they were portrayed in the big screen? So many questions, and in order to find out the answers, I had to actually read the book. Six days ago, astronaut Mark Watney became one of the first people to walk on Mars. Now he's sure he'll be the first person to die there. After a dust storm nearly kills him and forces his crew to evacuate while thinking him dead, Mark finds himself stranded and completely alone, with no way to even signal Earth that he's alive. And even if he could get word out, his supplies would be long gone before a rescue could arrive. Chances are, though, he won't have time to starve to death, The damaged machinery, unforgiving environment, or plain old human error are much more likely to kill him first. But Mark isn't ready to give up yet. Drawing on his ingenuity, his engineering skills, and a relentless dogged refusal to quit, he steadfastly confronts one seemingly insurmountable object after the next. Will his resourcefulness be enough to overcome the impossible odds against him? As I started to read the book, I realised that it had been translated so well onto the screen that it was as though it had been written to be made into a film. As a fan fiction author myself, it's actually rather easy to see Weir's origins in the field. He is passionate about his research, and according to Weir himself, he did so much because his intention was to make it as scientifically realistic as possible, despite the fact that it was based a little way into the future and on a planet that we have not yet been able to reach for a manned mission. All that aside, one thing that really struck me about the book was the fact that despite Mark Watney spending the majority of the book alone, without a way of communicating with either his colleagues on the Ares 3, well, Hermes, or anyone at NASA, a lot of personality comes through. I found myself laughing quite a lot when reading his inner thoughts. The analysis that the psychiatrist trick specialist did and later talks about when interviewed by a reporter trying to gauge what Watney must be thinking. I have to be honest, I hate it when tennis commentators do this during Wimbledon. It's really annoying. 
is very accurate. He has a good sense of humour and it is this humour and his ability to find the lighter side of even the most serious situations that gets him through something that would likely have driven many, including myself, to the brink. He is on his own, he has no way of knowing whether he is going to survive or not and he is still determined to do absolutely everything he can to ensure that if there is a minute chance of rescue he is alive to see it. Though Watney and his life on Mars, now I can't stop thinking about that song, are the obvious focus of the book, we do find out about his crew. We have Mark's thoughts on his crewmates and what they're like, from Commander Lewis with her 70s TV and disco obsession, to Chris Beck and Beth Johansson, who are interested in each other, but know that to act on it would be a breach of regulations while they're on mission. Though the film devotes a lot of screen time to Watney on Mars, obviously a lot of attention is also paid to the crew and the people at NASA. Though the book does cover a lot of this, because a book is incredibly introspective by its very nature, there is a little more flexibility in the way that Mark is observed and the scenes at NASA and on Hermes are truncated because the book is about Mark Watney and his experiences on the Red Planet. I love Mark's inner voice. I really enjoy how the further I read, I got to know even more about him and his opinions on everything. His humour and his attitude really come to the fore when he is determined to do something, whether it's dangerous or not, just because he knows that it will make things a little bit easier for him and his experiences, whether that is driving out to pick up a plutonium-filled box that will make driving long distances possible because it will stop him from freezing to death on the journey, or creating water, a process that could cause a deadly explosion so that he can cultivate enough potatoes to extend his rations. All the way through the book, I was gifted with his inner monologue and I have to say, it was mostly really funny. Sure, there were moments when he got serious, but then it was as though he'd realised that if he got too maudlin or started to doubt his own abilities, he wouldn't survive and then he'd just snap out of it and reading all about how his mind was working was entertaining. As with any book, it's not without its faults, but it was well-researched, and though occasionally I couldn't help but feel that it was too close to the present day being based only in 2035, which is 14 years away, wow, that's scary, I honestly think that the characterization was very cleverly done. I like depressing books that encourage tears and pity as much as the next avid reader. Yes, it is a thing. But I think that had this book lacked the humour it does have, it would have been a slog to actually get through. The quick quips from someone stuck on a planet and initially believed to be dead, wow, those two cues are hard to pronounce together, were what made it an easy read that I enjoyed and actually made it through incredibly quickly. But to be honest, it's not a very long book at just 369 pages. I stormed through it in a couple of evenings and I found myself actually looking forward to heading to bed. Though with a brand new mattress, it's actually been bliss going to bed for the last few weeks anyway, just so I could read the next section. The narrative was quick to read, the characters were well-rounded and definitely balanced each other out. I guess that for me, the biggest and only true issue I had was that because I had seen the film long before picking up the book. In fact, 
As I write this, I am watching it again due to the fact that it's now been added to the Disney Plus catalogue in the UK. I couldn't see the characters as being anyone other than who they are portrayed by in the film. Mark Watney was Matt Damon and Commander Lewis with her unusual taste in music and TV shows was Jessica Chastain. And ultimately though, that's not a deal breaker. The film is an enjoyable couple of hours and the book was equally so. This was not a book that I struggled to read. It's not one that I put down and then took a couple of weeks to pick up again. I downloaded it a few Sundays ago and I had finished it by the following Tuesday. Due to the nature of the book itself, the film is very much a combination of show and tell. In the book, we get to read all of Mark's inner thoughts as well as follow him on his day to day. The film handles the constant silence differently and because we can't see his thoughts, we are given access to them via some kind of video mission log and a verbal summary of all of his actions. As much as I like the film, I have to admit that I prefer imagining reactions, facial expressions and everything else that goes with Weir's words. But then I think that's a reader thing anyway. Certain actions that are incredibly memorable in the book take place at a different time in the film. Here I'm guessing that this is in order to speed up the story, though it actually took me less time to read the book. Things like the explosion of the Mab and the moment when the Ares 3 mission team are told that Watney survived. I'm really happy that many of the things that made the book and Watney funny are kept in the film, as these are the moments that made me chuckle when reading the book. Moments such as posing as the Fonz for a picture. I do wish that we had been given the chance in the film to see his response to being told off for swearing, because in the book, the icons he created to show boobs made me laugh. Another thing that I found interesting is the way that NASA and associated characters actually play a much smaller role in the book, as the fo focus is on Watney as the Martian in the title. Ultimately, The Martian is a science fiction book, yes, but it has a humorous tone to it, courtesy of the fact that Watney uses his own humour as a barrier to get through the situation he was placed in. Mark is a solid character, and if he weren't able to face everything with a semblance of a smile, then it would have not been as easy to read as it proved to be. And I know that this is absolutely about the film and going marginally off topic but as I was watching it I did realize that the MCU gets everywhere. In this film we have five actors who have appeared in the MCU and one who appeared in a Marvel adjacent film though I'm not actually sure how many people would like to acknowledge that the most recent Fantastic Four was in any way associated with Marvel. As I said not book related at all but my geek brain just wouldn't shut up so I apologise to anyone who hasn't seen any MCU movies so now it's time for my regular question and answer session did I enjoy it? I really enjoyed the book much more than I anticipated I would because I knew that as I had seen the film long before I knew it was a novel yes I know as a bibliophile I should have known I would be judging it against what I had seen. When it came down to it though, the book was actually better than the film. I like being able to hear the voices of the characters in my head. Sure, Watney sounded exactly like Matt Damon, but the humour evident in the book wasn't always in the film, 
which occasionally took a more serious turn at several moments where the book had him looking to more light-hearted thoughts, which made the book incredibly easy and enjoyable to read. And to briefly touch on a show that I am going to do an episode on in the future, The Good Place, the book momentarily looks at the moral machine with the do we risk one life or six question. Will I read it again? Though I'm not about to add this book to my regular reread list, which is now getting so long I have to stagger it across two years rather than one, I will no doubt read it again at some point. Yes, I think it's a good book and yes, I enjoyed it, but having read it once I don't think it needs to be read again for a good few years. The characters are enjoyable and well written, the story is well researched and the science is considerably fact-based, but that in itself doesn't make for a book that I need to read every single year. Would I recommend it to other readers? If you like science fiction that is firmly determined to read like science fact, then you'll love this. If you enjoyed the film and want to read the book that inspired it, then I don't think you'll be disappointed. In the book, you get to know a lot more about what makes Mark Watney tick. And he's a fascinating character with a very unusual view of the world, or in his case, Mars. However, it is worth noting that the end of the book is nowhere near as dramatic as you will expect if you're judging it on the Ridley Scott film. It has a very abrupt finish, and I kept on hoping that I was missing something. That said, at the same time, it also felt quite appropriate. I definitely would say pick up a copy, preferably one that has been edited for publication by the big publishing house. Also, if you did get a chance to read this before it was purchased by Random House, I would really love to hear what you thought about the original version. I know that it's been a few weeks and the break was sudden, but the time I took gave me a lot of opportunity to think about how I would like things to look in season three. Hey, welcome to season three. So there it was, the first episode. The summer is over and I am hoping that this will spell a return to my regular programming, though I am going to be telling you all about some of the amazing changes that are going on in my real world life in Thursday's episode, which is going to be all about a Disney Channel classic, because I'm going to be switching things up just a little bit this season. I really can't wait to share it with you and I hope you enjoy it. The last cup has gone in the dishwasher. The closed sign has been turned around, so it's time to end this, the first episode of season three of The Bookshop. I hope you enjoyed it and we'll come back again for more. If you like what you hear, why not share it with your friends and family and please post a review or give the show a star rating over on Podchaser. No feedback is bad feedback if it's constructive. You can follow me on Twitter at need underscore three underscore mugs or on Instagram at Not Before Coffee Podcast. Well, I have to go and pick yet another book from the shelf for next week and settle down with another cup of coffee. Until next time, this is me saying farewell. Farewell.